Well, welcome to uh, week three of our series called Free to Be Me. If you were around in January, you know that Pastor Mike uh, led us through an incredible series called Battle Tested. And in that series, we discovered that, that through Jesus, right, we can be set free from anything. That there is nothing in our lives that needs to have a bondage or, or control over us. And, and if you missed any of that series, we would love for you to go back online and to watch that. It is a, it's a life-changing series. That really set up this series. And, and what we're talking about in this series is now that we've been set free, what does that look like? How do we begin to, uh, to live this out? About three years ago, uh, my family, we were still living in Southern California. And uh, I know I've shared with you before how we really sensed that God was leading us to leave there and to come back to Hope, back to North Carolina, back to what, what we now consider to be home for us. And, and so when we made that decision, we immediately got on the phone and called our, our good friend Marcus, who uh, is also our real estate guy. He goes to the Apex campus and uh, he knows, he knows Laura, he knows exactly what what, uh, what we were looking for in a house. And, uh, and so he immediately went to work. And I remember, I remember him sending pictures to Laura. I remember it very vividly because here we're on the East Coast, right? East Coast time. And in California, we were three hours behind and it was 5.30 in the morning when Laura woke me up and said, we found our house, we found our house. I was like, great just buy it, right? Because I just want to go back to sleep. And she did. That, that's exactly what happened. She did. And, and we put down uh, the due diligence on it. And now we had a house that we had to figure out, uh, was this a good decision? Like, like what just happened uh, right there? We had about 30 days to figure it out. And we were, uh, we were away. We were on a little trip and we decided, hey, we should probably get into this. We should uh, dive into the financial side of it. And so we contacted someone. And as we were working through, we were almost done with all of our, getting our finances secured. When I remember it kind of went south quickly and the guy turned to me in and he said, oh, there, Donnie, there, there's a problem. And, and I said, what, what's, what's the problem? And he said, your credit score is terrible. And, uh, and he told me the number and it was, uh, it was lower than my self-esteem in high school, um, right? Like it was, it, was, it, was not, it was not good at all. And, um, and I, remember, I remember just thinking, wow, wow this is, this is a, a bad place to be, right, for us. And, uh, um, and so we quickly had to, uh, uh, to figure out some stuff. He said, why didn't you pay, out that, pay off your MasterCard? And I said, well, there's something wrong. There's, uh, we don't have a MasterCard. And what it turns out is that someone in Michigan had stolen my identity. Uh, they had uh, went to a grocery store, opened a MasterCard, spent a few thousand dollars on some things, changed the address, and, uh, and obviously never, never paid it off. And we had no idea, right? There was no notifications of that. We had no idea this card even existed, but now my credit was absolutely destroyed. And as a result, we were, I mean, we were angry at first. We were very frustrated. We spent the rest of those next few weeks constantly on the phone, uh, trying to get them to take those charges off and trying to get our, our credit back and trying to get someone to lend us money. And no one would until right near the end, a guy named Matt, who actually also goes to Hope, a, a great guy, he was able to work with us. And the day before, before our due diligence was, was gonna come to an end and we would have lost the house, uh, he was able to work out something. But it was frustrating, right? Weeks of stress that went into that. We now had a, a terribly high interest rate that we had to deal with. And, and it was just weird to think that there's another me out there, right? Some people would say, weird's not the right word. Scary is a better word, right? That there would be two, two Donnies out there. And I remember then getting curious about it and thinking, right? I, I wonder, I wonder what this guy looks like. I, I wonder if he looks strikingly similar to Brad Pitt also, right? Like I, I wondered, I wondered that. And, uh, and I remember thinking, I wonder if he goes to the gym more than I do, which would be once, right? And, uh, and so uh, does he look good? Like maybe I should go to the, the gym as a result. I, I remember believing that he probably drives a Jeep, 
right? Because that's what I would want to drive. And so I'm sure he's driving around with the, the top down on his Jeep, which leads to a very clear next question. What's his hair look like, right? Like you're blowing in the wind as he's driving with the top down, right? All of those things are kind of going uh, through my mind. Now, hopefully, hopefully you've never had your identity stolen physically, but I think this happens to us more, more than we realize. Um, in fact, I think too often in our lives, we let people steal our identity. Maybe for you, it's, it's just you're consumed with how quickly or how many people like your selfies or the, the trip pics that you've posted on there and, and you need to know how many people have made comments on it and so you're refreshing every 12 seconds. For some of us, maybe you don't put your hands up, but how many of you have ever played the, the game where you try on multiple outfits before you go out, right? That, that's something that, that happens, right? You just try on multiple, or maybe you play the shoe game where you put one different shoe on each foot and then you stand in front of a mirror or your spouse and like a flamingo go, this one, this one, this one, right? And it's back and forth and it's a game you never win. Nobody ever wins in that game. How many of you have ever, again, don't put your hands up, but how many of you ever bought an outfit because the salesperson says, that looks fantastic on you? And you're like, all right, put it in a bag, right? Actually, don't even bother. I'm wearing it home, right? You just, you go, or maybe you went to get your hair done and they said, you should go real, real short with it. And it never grew back. Like uh, maybe that's happened to you, but you get to this place, right? And now you're, you go to school or you go to work and you're waiting for all of these incredible compliments and, and none of them come and you go back home devastated after. Maybe your identity has been stolen because you believe lies that other people have said to you, things like you're not good enough, you'll never amount to anything. Everything that you touch just ends up broken and, and in pieces. Maybe you've been willing to settle in relationships for things that, that aren't healthy, that things that just aren't the best, and you've allowed your identity to be stolen there. Maybe it's with family members. Maybe it was through a dating relationship or a, or a friendship. And you've compromised on the things that you believe. You've compromised on some of your values because it was just easier to do it that way or maybe even worse, just so they would, so they would stick around. For some of you, some of you lose your minds when your friends don't reply to you immediately, right? You send a text or, or a DM, right? And you're just sitting there watching and waiting. And, and if it's hours or, or a day before you get a response, you go to this dark place of like, what's wrong with me? Why, why does anybody like me anymore? If that's the case, you don't wanna be my friend because I'm terrible. If you're like in a ditch somewhere, don't call me because I, I won't answer for like two days. I don't check Facebook for like three months at a time. That's just, that's just kind of how, how I roll. Maybe you're more like me in this, that you can get 99 compliments on something and one, one piece of criticism. And that piece of criticism just kind of plagues you, right? For days, for weeks at a time. See, many of us are, are people pleasers. That wasn't a compliment, right? That's not something you should be proud of. You're like, see, I was getting, no, 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 no. We're not, we're not trying to be people pleasers, but most of us, most of us are. Gary Vett, who's, uh, who's one of my mentors and, and one of our lead pastors here, he leads our staff meetings. And about a month ago, he, uh, he gave us a little quiz in staff meeting. I'd like to give it uh, to you. And so uh, you just have to answer for yourself. Don't answer for anyone else, right? Because that's exactly what we're talking about here. So just answer for yourself, just yes or no in, in your mind. Here's the first question. I struggle or have struggled with peer pressure, yes or no? I have a hard time saying no even when I should, yes or no? I crave respect from my spouse or boss or someone else in your life. I find myself thinking or talking about my need for self-esteem. I have second-guessed a decision because of what others might think of me, even, even if I knew it was the right decision, yes or no. I easily get embarrassed. Other people often make me angry or depressed, yes or no. 
And the last one, I have been afraid to share my grace story because of what people might think of me. See, if you answered yes to one or, or more of those, uh, let me just say you, you didn't win, right? It wasn't that kind of a quiz. Like a higher is not, not better on, on this side. If, if you're sitting there thinking about what somebody else scored, you're really messed up, right? Because that's not, that's not what it's about. And if you came away with like all no's to that, uh, we have a support group for liars that's meeting right after this service. And we'd love to get you uh, connected to that because it, it's a problem that we all have, isn't it? It's a problem that, that we allow other people, what they say, what they think about us to shape and to form and influence our identity. And the problem with it is this, is that we begin to seek or we begin to trust people instead of seeking or trusting God. Proverbs 29, 25 says this, fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. So let me ask you this question. Do you trust the opinions of others more than you trust the opinions of God? The reality is, is you wouldn't be the first. In fact, the Bible is full of people who have experienced this and the consequences that come from it. If you remember last week, we talked about Moses and at the end of Moses' life or his journey, that, that conversation he was having with God, he said, he said God, I, I stutter too much. I can't go and speak on your behalf. And God said, well, you're still the man, but I'm gonna send Aaron with you and Aaron will do the talking. And one day Moses is off, he's talking with God and, and Aaron's with the people. And the people said, we want an idol. We want something to worship. And Aaron gave in to the pressures of the people and he made this idol. And it says that as a result that, that the consequences were, were severe, thousands died. King Saul in the Bible, one of the, one of the great kings, right? He was commanded to go and to kill a King Agag, but because he feared the people, it says, he allowed him to live and the, the results, the consequences, thousands of people died. Herod. Herod was, uh, was pressured by his wife in front of a group of people that he had brought together at a dinner and she wanted him to take the life of John the Baptist and so he gave in and, and he did it. Pilate, Pilate, if you remember, had Jesus standing in front of the crowd and he said, I don't, I don't find anything wrong with him. I, I don't think he's done anything illegal. I, I washed my hands of this, but he gave in to the pressures of the people and he said, but if you wanna crucify him, you, you go ahead and, and do it. See, some of the greatest pain in my life has been brought on by myself by attempting to do the impossible and that's keep everybody happy. You add up the hours and the days and the years that we spend trying to get the approval, trying to get the affirmation, trying to get likes from other people and we know what happens as a result. We, we just end up exhausted and unfulfilled. It's like an appetite, right? That we may find some relief temporarily. We may get some affirmation. We may get some likes from people and, and the appetite disappears but eventually it comes back and usually it comes back even stronger. So what we've established in this series is this, is that God, God has chosen us, that God knows everything about you. And in spite of all of that, he chose to forgive you through his son, Jesus. When we have a relationship with Jesus, we talked last week that we are valuable, that through Jesus, that we have been adopted into God's family, that we are heirs of his kingdom. Everything that God is, everything that God has is available to us. And as a result, he says, you're my masterpiece. There's nobody else like you, incredibly incredibly valuable. See, that's what God thinks of you. We've been set free, right, because of those things. We've been set free to live confidently the lives that God has created and intended for us to live. And that's what we're gonna get practical now for these next couple of weeks. And we're gonna talk about how do we really live this out? How do we find the confidence to be free to be me every single day? If you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn with me to a Daniel chapter three. 
And if you don't, that's okay. You can download our app if you want. We've got an app with uh, notes in it and all of the verses we're gonna take a look at today. You can follow along on the side screens as well. There's a, a lot of verses, but, um, but I'm excited about this one. Chris Hodges, a, a pastor, wrote a book called The Daniel Dilemma, and he summarized the book of Daniel this way. It's stand firm and love well. And I think it's a, it's a good description. It's a, a great book. But let me begin just by giving you a little bit of the historical significance of what we're gonna talk about in this story. It's 605 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon and he has taken over the, the throne. And one of the things that he did is he took the best and the, the brightest of the, of the Jewish people, he took them back with him. Back to Babylon, there's two main stories in, in this book, a lot of different stories, but two main stories that even if, you, if you're an unchurched person, you, you don't really do the church thing very often, you've probably heard of at least one of them. The first is Daniel in the lion's den. Now you probably heard that story. The second one, maybe you've seen Veggie Tales with Rack, Shack, and Benny, right? Uh, that's who we're going to talk about today. It's, it's the three guys named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Strange names, but, but they were some of the best and the brightest. And so King Nebuchadnezzar took them, he trained them, he coached them, he, uh, he kind of raised them up and elevated them in top positions within his administration. And so uh, these guys, are, they're wealthy, they're prosperous. Life is going pretty good for them. Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. And King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and six cubits wide. That's about 90 feet high and, and nine feet wide. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar, right, he's on a little bit of an ego trip and, and it, does, it makes sense that I'm sure he's got advisors that are around him all the time just telling him how great he is. And so he decided that he would build a 90-foot statue. Doesn't tell us exactly what it looked like, but it's probably of himself. It would be a wooden structure that would be kind of overlaid with gold. And he set it in the middle of this plain so that it could be seen by everyone, really so he could be seen by everyone. Verse 2. Then he summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image that he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. I, I think they were getting paid by the word back then, and so uh, it's good. But, but Nebuchadnezzar, you can see, right, he's very concerned about what other people think and, and what other people are saying about him, so he, he invites them all to come to a ceremony to celebrate himself, right? And so this, this is good. Verse four, then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you, mu music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. So he says, when, when the band starts playing, right, you're, you're gonna bow down and worship this statue of me, right? That was basically what's gonna happen. Verse six, and whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn and the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Nothing like a little subtle pressure, right, to, to motivate you to, to comply with him. That's, that's really what's happening. And we see that everyone did, every single person there bowed down to the statue when the music played, well, all, almost all of them. Verse 12, 
But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. What we see here, right, is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're they're in a tough spot, right? The, The king said, you've got to worship my statue, but God said that you should have no other God before me. And so they were faced with this dilemma. Do we obey the king or do we obey God? Everyone, everyone has bowed down except for these three, right? Except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. My guess is that they, they kind of stood out, kind of like, like Mike and I wearing wigs, right? Like they were just, you would notice that. It kind of it stands out. And sure enough, in verse 12, it says that they got, they got ratted out for this. And so these officials, they go straight to the king and they said, hey, king, today when we were at the big celebration, which by the way, really great party that you threw, king, right? You throw an incredible party, the appetizers, the decor, everything. It was just fantastic. Hey, we noticed that there were some Jews that you placed in places of authority. They didn't bow down to you. In fact, we wrote down their names, right? Shadrach, Meshach, they're right here. Here's their names for you. And we hate to gossip. That's not our style at all, right? But we just wanted to let you know it doesn't appear that they respect your laws. Unlike us, we're team players, right? Here we are telling you all about this. And and, and you see the people-pleasing that's going on, right? King Nebuchadnezzar needs it. The people are all a part of it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they show this incredible, incredible confidence. They're the only ones that are not bowing down. See, the reality is that we all bow down to something. What we need to understand, what we need to evaluate and know in our lives is what is it or, or who is it that we're bowing down to? Who are we giving our, our time to? What are we giving our attention or our resources or our affections to? Knowing what you worship is very, very important. And so we see that the King Nebuchadnezzar reacts in verse 13, furious with rage. Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so these men were brought before the king. So as a result, right, these guys are brought for a face-to-face meeting with the king. And let me remind you, they've done nothing wrong, right? Nothing wrong here. And I think that the king probably assumed that maybe this was just a mistake, right? Because no one, no one would intentionally disobey him because he's such a great king in his mind. Verse 14. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? Now, when you hear the music or the the sound, sorry, of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, this is why they finally just started calling it bands, right? Because this is just, it's way, way too long here. He said, guys, when you hear the music playing, right, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. Right? Simple as that. I I think it was just a misunderstanding. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? See, I I think he's trying to give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe there is just a a breakdown in in communication here, right? The king's like, hey, I get it, right? Uh, Sorry, maybe you didn't understand my accent, eh, right? And so like, it could happen. I I could see how it could happen. Uh, Every week this happens at our house. We ask our son Ty to take the trash out. and, And apparently as we're speaking Canadian, he misunderstands it as we love for it to pile up in the pantry, right? And so I'm assuming that's just what happened here. And so the king decides, hey, I'm gonna give you guys a second chance. But here's the deal, I just wanna make sure we're clear. If you blow it this time, right, there's no more chances. There, I don't wanna hear any excuses. If we have to have another face-to-face, you better be wearing a lot of sunscreen because it's gonna get hot for you. 
Let me ask you this question. What, what would you have done? Because maybe you found yourself in, in, a, in that place, right? Maybe you found yourself in, a, in an I don't want to do that situation. Maybe it was on a date. Next thing you know, you're in a I don't want to do that situation, but the pressure was, was so great. Maybe it's at school or the office, right? There, there's a joke or a, a topic of conversation that comes up amongst the, the people that you hang out with and, and you don't want to be a part of it. And inside you feel like I, I should probably walk away, but, but I don't know how everyone's going to react to that. I'm not sure exactly what to do. Maybe, maybe your boss has asked you to cut some corners, change a few numbers here and there, support them with something that you know isn't, isn't true. And you know it's not right, but, but you need that job and, and the pressure is just so great. So you wanna be confident, but you know that there's gonna be consequences to that. See, some of us have become experts at rationalization. We, we like to look for loopholes in this. Well, I mean, I know my heart, I'm not really worshiping Nebuchadnezzar, right? Like, God, you know that I love you. I'm, I'm just gonna bow down just this one time. And it's not even gonna be a full bow, God. Like, I'm just more just gonna kind of lean in a little bit, right? Like, you get what, what I'm doing here. And after all, we are leaders here in Babylon, and so we probably should set a good example for other people. And God, I'm, I'm just choosing my battles wisely. Look at their response, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. <laughs> Their response is so awesome, right? The king, he said, thanks king. We really appreciate the, the second chance, but hey, you can tell the band they don't really need to warm up in this, right? Like, we call you king, but we have a greater king that we follow. We recognize that you're king of, of this land but our king kind of created the whole thing, right? We get that, that you can barbecue us, but our king, our king has a place that's way hotter for those that don't obey him, right? Uh, we're, we're gonna lean in on this one. We don't feel the need to defend ourselves to you. Why? How did they get to this place where they could be so confident in front of the king? Let me give you a couple things. Here's the first one. I think they're completely satisfied in God. They're just satisfied in their relationship with God and who he is. This is the first key to confidence. They're completely satisfied. They're, we, don't need, we don't need anything else. We don't worry about what you think about us. We don't worry about the consequences. We truly believe that God is enough for us. It's as simple as that. It's the only way you can explain this. Everyone else has bowed down, right? Everyone else has, has done it, but they aren't worried about what everyone else thinks. They aren't worried about what everyone else is doing. Their only concern is pleasing God. Their only concern is following God. The only thing that matters to them is obeying God. See, what God thinks of them is, is so much more important to them than what anybody else thinks of them. Can you say the, the same in your life? Right, the next time that you're pressured to, to go against who God is or what God has told you to do, the next time you're pressured to, to be a part of something or believe something that, that's not who, who you really are, can you confidently say no? Will you be able to walk away from that? See, when we're satisfied in God, when we recognize that he is most important to us, that God is enough for us, then we can live confidently in the face of anything that, that comes at us. And I hope you don't, ever need this message, you, you probably will though. In fact, some of you are, are gonna go home and you're gonna need it today, right? You're gonna go home and you're gonna face some opposition. Maybe it's from uh, family members, maybe it's a, a neighbor, maybe simply for being here at, at, at church this weekend. Some of you are gonna go and you're gonna face it this week at school. You're gonna face it at work. See, I, 
I want you to understand, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were human, just like us. These guys aren't superheroes, right? They're just like you and I, yet they refused to let someone else steal or shape their identity. Their satisfaction in God was everything that they needed. And it actually shows us and, and sets up the second key to their confidence, and that was that they were, they were completely dependent upon God. Not only were they satisfied in God, but as a result, they became dependent upon God. Look at verse 17. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. They're completely polite, right? But they're like, King, we, we really don't care what you think, right? We, we don't even feel like we need to give you the theology behind our decision, right? We don't need to defend ourselves. We don't owe you an apology. We don't owe you an explanation. We're just not gonna bow down to the statues that you set up. We're, we're not gonna bow down to those images. Here's what we believe, God will deliver us. And even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, he's, he's still God. See, what an incredibly valuable lesson for us in this, right? Just because we believe that God is all powerful, right? and he is, but just because we believe that doesn't mean that things are always gonna turn out our way. Sometimes God's plan may be that you have to perish in the fire. And if he does, we have to understand that this doesn't change anything. He is still God. These guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're, they weren't worried about what was gonna happen to them. Their faith was secure in that, that God is on our side. That's how they could have this bold, bold confidence. And hear me on this, right? Because I don't believe that they weren't afraid. I think they fully understood exactly what was happening to them. I don't think that they thought that Nebuchadnezzar was bluffing. I, I'm sure they've walked by that furnace. They've heard the crackling of the flames. They've felt the heat coming off of it. They knew exactly what this meant. See, confidence isn't the absence of fear. It's being satisfied in and dependent upon something greater. They were completely dependent upon God in the face of, of this trial. And see, I think as Christians, we're often, we're always in, in a win-win situation. Now, you may look at this story and you're going to go, Donnie, I don't, I don't get that. All right, this feels like a lose-lose situation, right? If you, if you throw us in, then yeah, God is able to deliver us, but but what's happened? We're, we've already been in the fire. We've suffered some nasty burns. There's pain, there's suffering, there's, there's scars. That's a, that's a lose, right? And, and what if he doesn't save us? Well, then, then we're dead. That's, that's a lose. We're alive with pain and scars or, or we're dead. That's a lose-lose situation. But I don't think that that's how these guys looked at it. I think they looked at it as a win-win situation because I think they believed what Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever, amen. See, you may read this and think, okay, well, that's great. Well, which one is God gonna do? The answer is yes. <laughs> this is what God is gonna do. It's a win-win situation. If I live, I get to serve Jesus. And if I die, then I get to go home to Jesus. See, our confidence comes when we can live in complete dependence upon God no matter what it is that we face. Verse 19, then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. 
He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to throw them into the blazing furnace. And so these men wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men firmly tied fell into the furnace. Then, look at this, King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and he asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? And they replied, certainly your majesty. And he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. I guarantee at our Ship of Zion campus, they just got some come-ons and some amens right there, right? Like, I, I'm preaching 62% better than you're responding right now. Like, I just, I feel like we need to, this is good stuff here, right? This is good. There, here's where the third key to confidence comes from. It, it, it's because they experienced God's presence. See, they stood, but they didn't have to stand alone. They weren't victims. They weren't bound up by what others thought or what others said or even what others did to them. They were absolutely free. Now, I'm no mathlete, right? But I, I, three went in and now the king sees four, right? So something's, something's going on here. And people way smarter than me believe that, that this was probably Jesus who was the fourth one in there. It's referred to as a Christophany, right? That, that Jesus would show up. And I can't fully understand it and, and I, therefore I can't really explain it to you. But here's kind of what I, what I think happened. Um, Jesus is sitting next to God right now, right? He's always been there from the very beginning. Uh, he's sitting next to the Father, except for the 33 years that he was here on earth, right? That was the only time that, that he wasn't. So I think he's sitting next to the Father and, and we don't know why, but every once in a while, Jesus would turn and, and he would say, hey, Dada, I'm gonna go down there and freak out King Nebuchadnezzar, right? I, I'm, I'm just gonna do that. And, and I think God turned to him and he said, have fun, son, make good choices, right? Because that's what fathers say. And, and I think that's what happened. And, and he's like, hey, Michael, grab some angels. You're not going to want to miss this, right? This is going to be, this is going to be great. Here's the point. When we stand, Jesus stands with us. See, when you're satisfied in who God is, when you're dependent on him for everything in your life, then you can live confidently knowing that God will always show up, that you're never going to have to stand alone, that God will always be present in every circumstance, in every, every situation. Verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and he shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants, look at this, of the most high God. Nebuchadnezzar got saved right there, right? Like something, something went down. He's like, hold on, hold on. They were chasing. Guys, guys, servants of the most high God, right? Like I get it now. Things are, are changing here. He said, come out, come here. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire and the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the royal advisors, they crowded around them. And they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched and there was no smell of fire on them. See, when you take a stand in your culture, maybe it's a stand with your family, maybe it's a stand with at school or at work, you can stand right in the middle of it and you won't even smell like the culture. So you don't have to go to work on Monday and preach at everyone. You, you don't have to go to school on Tuesday and be that weird Christian guy. Like, that's not what this is, but, but you also don't need to be afraid and you don't need to conform to what other people say or think. You can stand confidently 
and simply love people where they are because your identity isn't shaped by others, it's shaped by God. See, here's the bottom line. We don't need to defend. We simply need to depend. Verse 28, then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces. I love this, right? He got saved, but he's not sanctified yet, right? Like he's not, he's not there, he's not there yet. He's closed, but he's not. And their houses be turned into piles of rubble, right? Like he's just, he's getting there, but for no other God can save in this way. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. See, guys, God has called us to so much more than to just show up once a week or or once a month to come to a weekend service or be a part of a small group or serve. Those are all important things. They really are. They're, They're essential things. But God has called us to so much more that we are to live on mission with him. We're gonna talk more about that next week as we close out this service. But here's the truth. We can live confidently when we are satisfied in God when we're dependent upon him for everything in our lives, whether it turns out good or whether it turns out bad, because we understand and recognize that he is present with us in any and everything we face. Easter's coming up, right? A couple weeks. And I know that every single one of us, we know someone whose identity has been stolen by things that they believe, things that people have said, that have been shaped by, by lies. And we know that they need to meet and to know the God that loves them this much, a God that died for them, a God that says, I want you to understand the identity that I, that I have given you. It's so much better than what you're trying to figure out on your own. I want you to understand that you've been chosen. I want you to get that you are valuable to me and that you can live confidently in this life. Will you pray about who, who do I need to invite? Who needs to be here in a few weeks to hear about God's incredible love for them. Let me give you two choices that we can put into practice this week so we can live out the confidence that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had. Here's the first one. Choice one, I minimize my focus on what others think of me. I gotta minimize, gotta minimize my focus on what others think of me. Galatians 1.10 says this, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, then I would not be Christ's servant. See, in life, you only have to please one person. It's It's your creator. It's Jesus who made you and and has a purpose and a plan for your life. And when we get this, when we live this way, it simplifies things enormously for us. You don't need to be a people pleaser. You don't need to worry about what other people think. You don't need to be influenced by what other people say or what other people tell you to do. Don't let your identity be stolen by someone else. Instead, walk away. Limit their influence. Limit how much time you spend with them. Maybe it's asking yourself this question over and over this week. Uh, what voice do I need to say no to? Right, the first thing is I minimize my focus on what others think of me. Here's the second thing is I maximize my focus on what God thinks of me. I've got to maximize my focus on what it is that God thinks of me, what it is that God says about me. I've come to this place in my life where, where my consuming passion, right, is, is beginning to understand that it's, it's about what God's evaluation of me is. How do you do that? I, I try to get alone with God on, the, on a daily basis. And it's asking him questions. Maybe it's questions like, Lord, are, are you pleased with my life? 
God, is something in my life that you wanna change? God, where do you want me to follow you? God, I wanna be completely satisfied in you. I just want you to be enough for me. See, the more time you give to him, the more you get to know him, the more he begins to shape and to lead you to the place where you're just completely pleased with him and satisfied with him. God's the only one that knows all the facts. He's the only one that sees all of the motives. God's the only one that knows why that person is never satisfied with you, no matter what you do. God's the only one that, that knows why they won't accept you for who you are. God, God knows those things. Let those things go and instead just focus on him because he's the one that says, I love you and accept you no matter what. Ask yourself this question, are you satisfied with God? See, we can live confidently when we're satisfied in him, dependent upon him, and recognize that he's present with us in everything, everything that we do. Will you bow your head with me and pray? God, will you help us to, help us to understand this and to put this into practice in our life? Imagine what this would look like. Imagine in your life if you could live confidently every single day, not second guess things, not worry about what other people think, not walking around embarrassed, not letting other people influence my anger or my depression, how I feel about things. Imagine what this would look like in our home if we could live free of this, if we could live confidently as a, as a family. Imagine what this would look like at school or, or at work, if I could walk those halls, if I could go into those meetings with a confidence in who God says I am and not worried about, about what other people say or think. Father, we thank you that what you have said about us is true. You chose us, God, that we are so valuable to you and as a result, Father, we thank you that we can live confidently. Thank you for the example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were so satisfied in you. God, it doesn't tell us. We don't know much of their story beyond this, but whatever they experienced of you, it was enough of you that they were satisfied in that. It allowed them to be dependent upon you, whether it turned out good or whether it turned out bad. It didn't matter to them because they were just so, so in love with you. God, as a result, you stood with them and they were free. No matter how they went in, bound up, no matter what other people said or thought, they walked around completely free, unbound and unharmed because of you, Jesus. God, help us to live that same way this week and for the rest of our lives. We love you. Thank you. Help us to be free to be me, God. In your name we pray. Amen.